This time, oh man, it's a good one. He's sometimes exciting, sometimes inspirational, but always controversial. That's right, it's Hans Zimmer, this time on Frame Tracks. Where do I begin? In previous episodes, I discussed some of the talented composers that led to Hans Zimmer. Composers like Giorgio Moroder and Harold Faltemeyer. But I've avoided doing an entire episode directly on Zimmer. So there are a couple reasons why I haven't tackled Zimmer until now. First, I have a pretty love-hate relationship with Zimmer. What I mean is, some of his scores are easily the greatest scores that I own, like Inception or Interstellar. Some are just plain fun, even if they don't fit the movie well, like Lion King or Pirates of the Caribbean. And some are just plain trash. And I don't mean that I don't like them, I mean they are garbage. He either just didn't care to put in the effort, or his hubris sent him down a terrible path that he couldn't back out of. Seriously, he has a few that I don't know how the studio didn't reject, like Amazing Spider-Man 2 or Pirates on Stranger's Tides, just to name a couple. I literally threw that Pirates one in the trash and deleted it off my system so I never had to suffer through it again. It was that bad. The problem with Zimmer is you just don't know what you're going to get. Life is like a box of chocolates and all that. Unlike, say, a Jerry Goldsmith or John Williams, you aren't getting a sure thing when you buy a Zimmer. So I made it a policy not to buy unless I was sure it was a score I'd enjoy. The second reason I haven't done a show on Zimmer yet was because I was waiting for the guy to slow down so I could do a kind of retrospective on his career. But after 40 plus years and hundreds of scores, uh, he's not showing any sign of slowing down one bit. So I figured now is as good a time as any. There are also a bunch of other issues with Zimmer that we'll get into later. But first, let's listen to some music since that's why we're all here anyway. I like to start these podcasts with the music where I first heard the composer. For Zimmer, that was very, very easy to pick out. 
After playing in a few bands and a stint working for fellow composer Stanley Myers, Zimmer was offered his own score in 1988 by director Barry Levinson. That single decision would cause ripples in the world of film that are still felt to this very day, for it would catapult Zimmer into instant fame. The film, starring Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman, went on to win Best Picture that year, and the world would never know another day without composer Hans Zimmer. What's all the fuss about? Well, let's see. From that 1988 masterpiece, here is Rain Man.
Hans Florian Zimmer, don't know why he doesn't go by Florian, but whatever, was born in 1957 in Germany and played for a few rock bands before finding his calling as a film composer. That little fact leads us to this episode's trivia question, which is, in what famous and historic music video is Hans Zimmer briefly featured? This was something that I was not aware of. I'll have the answer to that later on in this episode. It seems that almost every composer has their directorial muse. John Williams worked heavily with Steven Spielberg, Danny Elfman with Tim Burton. Zimmer has a few, having worked regularly with a bunch of directors over the years like Ron Howard and Gore Verbinski. But if Zimmer had only one, then it most certainly is visionary director Christopher Nolan. Nolan and Zimmer have worked together on a bunch of films, including The Batman, Dark Knight Trilogy, Dunkirk, and this little humdigger of a film that required pretty much all of your cognitive skills to watch. The 2010 film stars Ellen Page and Leonardo DiCaprio as, well, it's confusing. From the Wikipedia page, it states, and I quote, they perform corporate espionage using experimental military technology to infiltrate their targets' subconsciousness and extract information through a shared dream world, end quote. Sure, that explains it perfectly, except the movie isn't really about that at all. The complex story required extremely complex storytelling, and Zimmer's score matches that storytelling quite nicely. He does a wonderful job of setting the tone for the narrative. He lays a foundation on which Nolan can delicately place his characters, settings, and story. By the time they worked on this movie, the two had created enough together to be able to understand what makes each other tick. And everything seemed to click. So, from the groundbreaking feature from 2010, here is Time from Christopher Nolan's Inception.
director Ridley Scott, best known for his visionary films like Alien and Blade Runner, is another groundbreaking director with whom Zimmer has closely worked. Their films include the Academy Award-winning Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, and Thelma and Luis, all powerful films with powerfully moving scores. One of their earlier and lesser-known collaborations came in 1989 with a buddy cop drama starring Michael Douglas and Andy Garcia, titled Black Rain. The stunning film is a visual action masterpiece. Sure, it's a bit dated by today's standards, and it may be more style than substance, but that style is pretty outstanding. Ridley knew that the then-new composer of Zimmer would be a perfect fit for his sweeping, grandiose scenes featuring the gritty underside of Japan. I personally loved the film when it came out, and Zimmer's pounding score was one of the main reasons. So, from Scott's 1989 drama, here is Black Rain.
Ridley Scott's younger brother, Tony, was a successful director as well and had a string of hits in the late 80s and early 90s, including Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop 2, and Days of Thunder. If Ridley's films might be style over substance, then Tony's were absolutely defined by that phrase. His films were usually fun, summer blockbuster, popcorn-eating events, and I was all in. I loved them. He, too, used Zimmer in the early years, and in 1993, the two collaborated on a Quentin Tarantino script starring Christopher Walken, Brad Pitt, Val Kilmer, Gary Oldman, and Christian Slater. Sounds pretty good, right? Well, it is. The film, titled True Romance, follows a couple on the run from the mafia after they steal a drug shipment. Turns out, Tarantino and Tony Scott were a pretty great mix, and Zimmer's pounding style had now evolved at this point into something with a bit more heart, and it fit the love subplot nicely. So, from Tony Scott's film, here is the theme to True Romance. Criticism of Zimmer abounds. If you look up articles about Zimmer, you will find a bunch of them ripping him apart. There seems to be a consensus on the internet that you can either love Zimmer or 
absolutely hate him. I just did a search tonight and found an article titled, Why Hans Zimmer Can Blow Me. That particular piece, by the way, was in the hate side of the argument, if you couldn't tell that already. Point being, the disagreements are strong between those who think Zimmer is a god and those who think he is a complete hack. I fall in the middle of that argument because I do find some of his scores quite entertaining and fitting for the film, while I also find some of his scores completely misplaced. For example, probably his most famous score is for the film Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, that theme is a great theme. Fun to hum in the car, it sticks in your head. However, I'd argue that it's not his best work, and in fact, it doesn't really fit the film at all. Those movies should have had a large, symphonic, nautical score that utilized instruments from the era. It would have made it a better film overall. But would it have made the film as popular? Probably not. There is no doubt that Zimmer's scores for those movies helped to make them blockbusters. My favorite version was from the third film, titled At World's End. I feel by that point, Zimmer had gotten the orchestrations for those movies pretty much perfect. So from the 2007 film At World's End, here is Drink Up Me Hearties.
See, good tune. But does that make it a great score? Thus the argument. Someone likes Zimmer, that's for sure, as he's one of the most popular composers in Hollywood. Zimmer has been nominated for Best Score over 10 times. He's won only once for The Lion King. He was also nominated for the 2001 score for Ridley Scott's Gladiator. Zimmer partnered with Lisa Gerrard from the band Dead Can Dance for this score, and also a few others. The pairing gave the film a very unique sound, even for Zimmer, who by this point had been rehashing themes over various scores for a while. It's a wonderful score, even if it's a bit misplaced in a film about Rome. And in many ways, it marks the change from the pounding, percussive 90s Zimmer to the more modern and more subtle 2000s Zimmer. So, from Ridley Scott's Gladiator, here is... Now we are free.
Another great Christopher Nolan Zimmer collaboration was the 2014 epic science fiction film Interstellar. The story centers around a group of astronauts who try to discover a habitable home for mankind as the end of the world looms. Zimmer's score for Interstellar is, in my opinion, one of his absolute best, and it fits the feel and tone of the film perfectly, which, as we discussed, is one of the issues with Zimmer. But for this film, Zimmer took the experimentation even further. In one of the scenes, the explorers land on a planet where, due to gravitational pull of a nearby star, time moves faster. For each hour spent on the planet, almost eight years of time passes elsewhere. It creates a good deal of drama when our main characters return to the ship to discover so much had changed. To convey this, Zimmer took the music to a new level. In one track titled Mountains, you hear a percussive click keeping the time. Each click signifies a full day passing back on Earth. This fact is something a viewer would never figure out just by watching the film, but it plants in the viewer's head that time marches forward and thus builds outstanding tension in the scene. So, from Nolan's 2014 epic Interstellar, here is Mountains.
Remote Control Productions. Now we must discuss the heart of the criticism of the great Hans Zimmer. In the early 90s, so the story goes, Zimmer was flooded with so many requests to do scores that he had to turn away jobs. So he founded Remote Control Productions, which was originally called Media Ventures. RC was a studio where Zimmer would bring in up-and-coming composers and teach them the Zimmer sound and the Zimmer workflow. Then, when he wasn't able to offer his services, he'd give the studio one of his clones to do the work for him. Thus, a ton of film scores were all beginning to sound the same. And that's what Hollywood wanted. Jonathan Broxton of Movie Music UK remarked, quote, What I hate, however, is the way in which the company has virtually taken over the upper echelons of the film music world, to the detriment of other independent composers who can't catch a break. Five of the 15 highest grossing films at the U.S. box office in 2009 and seven of the 15 highest grossing films in 2008 were scored by Hans Zimmer or someone who worked for him. Such is their utter dominance of the blockbuster sound that producers and directors wanting a piece of the box office pie return time and time to the studio, not for new or innovative music, but for another variation on the last hit movie score. One which won't upset the film's target demographic and creativity be damned." End quote. This criticism, by the way, is spot on. It has become a fact that it is very difficult to break into the Hollywood scoring business unless you go through Zimmer first, whether you want to or not. Let's have a little fun. You've heard Hans Zimmer. Now let's play some of his fellow RC grads and see if we can hear similarities. Here is Steve Jablonski's theme to Transformers. Here is the aptly named Deja Vu from Harry Gregson Williams. about a little bit of 300 from Tyler Bates. Oh, 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 oh,
Armageddon from Trevor Rabin. Finally, here is Lauren Balfe's Mission Impossible Fallout. All of these, if played for even a serious fan like myself, could easily be confused as a Zimmer score. And that is no mistake. It's exactly what Hollywood wants. Less creativity and less risk on their investments. It's a sad state of affairs for sure for someone that might be looking for more originality in their films and from their film scores. Zimmer, however, is hugely successful, largely from his composing talents, but also from his business savvy. He has pioneered his signature sound over the years and has successfully parlayed that sound into an empire, and there is no sign of that changing anytime soon. So let's continue with the one true Zimmer. In 1995, Tony Scott teamed with Zimmer again for a submarine adventure starring Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman. It was a pretty good flick that was met with thumbs up at the box office, but the score was criticized for being too electronic for the era it was portraying. However, that doesn't mean it didn't produce some cool as hell tracks. So here is Crimson Tide.
1992, Zimmer composed the score for a multi-part TV documentary about less advanced cultures and what we can learn from them. Here is a perfect example of where Zimmer's music works very, very well. His percussive style fits perfectly as a backdrop about these ancient cultures and the characters they create. But also, it was much cheaper for Zimmer to do the score since electronic scores were much cheaper to produce, especially at the time. Plus, Zimmer was able to repurpose some of the themes for his Academy Award-winning score for Disney's Lion King a few years later. So from 1992's Millennium, here is The Journey Begins. And so, in the end, we can all just sit here and comfortably argue over whether Zimmer is right for this movie or that one. 
We can criticize his decision to do this or that. We can complain that his ego is writing checks his fingers can't cash. But frankly, he doesn't give a damn. He's the most sought-after composer in Hollywood, maybe ever. He's a multi-millionaire, a leader in the field, and he will go right on composing for as long as he damn well pleases. And there's not much we can do about it. I choose to sit back and just see where it all goes, and maybe enjoy the ride. The same year he did Millennium, Zimmer also composed a score for a small Richard Donner film. Donner is best known for his blockbuster adaptations including Superman, Lethal Weapon, and The Goonies, but this film was more personal in nature. It is about two young brothers trying to make their way in a new town with an abusive stepfather. Zimmer's score for the movie was yet another perfect example of his style fitting the narrative. Since the movie is told mostly through the eyes of the children, Zimmer's playful melodies played wonderfully against scenes of them playing and dreaming of other worlds. It is one of my favorite Zimmer scores, and every once in a while I'll spin it just to put me in a good mood. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. So, from the 1992 Richard Donner film, here is Radio Flyer.
Speaking of Richard Donner's Superman, and we were, that film, as you may recall, featured one of the greatest scores of all time by the maestro John Williams. His Superman theme became so synonymous with the character that when Brian Singer made Superman Returns in 2006, which was essentially Superman 5, he used John's themes in the movie, saying, Superman is nothing without that theme. Well, when Zack Snyder rebooted Superman in 2013's Man of Steel, he turned to Zimmer with strict orders to come up with something completely different. And different it was. Better? No, but you have to applaud the attempt. Superman needs a full symphonic score, and I'm not sure why Snyder didn't see that. The movie overall is not really bad. It just took the character in a much darker and oppressive tone. The following two appearances of Superman in Batman v Superman and Justice League were flat-out horrible. Those were bad movies. But Man of Steel did have promise, and Zimmer's score did as well. So, from Snyder's Man of Steel, here is What Are You Gonna Do When You Are Not Saving the World?
Okay, it's time to answer the trivia question from earlier, which was, in what famously historic music video was Hans Zimmer briefly seen playing the keyboard? On August 1st, 1981, MTV, or Music Television, began to air on cable with a now-famous song that predicted the future. The band was the Bugles, and the song was Video Killed the Radio Star. Hans Zimmer, in his pre-composer days, was a keyboardist for the band and can be seen in a few shots in the music video.
I like to end these podcasts with my favorite song from the composer, who this time around is the outgoing, egotistical, but usually entertaining Hans Zimmer. Picking my favorite Zimmer score was tough. I mean, which Hans Zimmer do I play? The bombastic, percussive 90s action hero Zimmer or the later, more introspective Zimmer? I couldn't decide. So we're going to end with two tracks that I consider my favorite Zimmer pieces. First up, it's the introspective Zimmer. From Terrence Malick's 1998 World War II drama, The Thin Red Line, here is Journey to the Line.
And to end this podcast, here is my second favorite track of Zimmer's. This time, the bombastic hero, and an unlikely one at that. For many years after his Tony Scott film was released, fans begged for a score album from the movie, but to no avail. Only recently was this score from the 1990 Tony Scott film released, but it was worth the wait. Get ready for some slow motion NASCAR racing because here is Days of Thunder. should have been it, but I just had to do one more. You want big? Hmm? You want over-the-top, pure adrenaline fun? Check out the super, over-the-top, sugary stickiness, bad for you, but oh-so-good theme to Ron Howard's 1991 film, Backdraft. Backdraft. 
If you enjoyed listening to Frame Tracks, please log in and leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to email me questions, requests, or comments to info at frametracks.com. That's F-R-A-M-E-T-R-A-X. And please support these great composers by purchasing their music. Until next time, this is Frame Tracks.